This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. What's up? We're talking hoops on a Thursday drive. We'll get to some Coach Cal sound. Tar Heel fans will want to hear ahead of North Carolina's matchup with Kentucky. But we've got to talk about Duke first. All the hand-wringing about this start for the Blue Devils, this team coming off the two losses at home to Illinois and Michigan State, and Coach K's comments, and can they win without Jalen Johnson in the lineup, and is he going to come back at all when he is healthy? And it turns out Duke's going to be fine. Coach K, he hasn't missed an NCAA tournament since the field expanded to 64 in 1985. He isn't going to start this year. The Devils, they were in control throughout last night's game in South Bend. They get a win to open up conference play. And here's why I'm not very concerned about Duke. Do I think they're great? Do I think they're a one or a two seed in the NCAA tournament? No. I don't think they're a top 10 ranked team, but they are a top 20 team. That's the funny thing when I talk to people about rankings. When it's a team you dislike, you're so sure at the signs of trouble, that team shouldn't be in the top 25. And you're so sure when your team belongs in the top 25, looking at you state fans. But then when I ask you to put together your own AP poll, considering most fans probably only follow their team or watch their conference, You get hung up most times after maybe seven or eight teams, maybe ten. If you're really good and follow college basketball closely, you can get the top 15 in there. Then odds are you're probably just going to compare your list to the AP top 25, and you'll see that Duke's in the top 20. Duke has too much talent not to be a top 20 team. I think what also has to be considered, especially this year with another young team and one that isn't quite Zion, RJ level talented. What are Duke's priorities? Is it the regular season? Of course not. For the last decade, Duke hasn't placed its priorities on the regular season. We know this. Like when people ask me, Josh, how do I get into the sports media field? How do I get my own show? And I get this question about once a month. Young people, very fascinated, interested in this profession. And what I asked them is, well, what specifically do you want to do? If you want to do this job, well, here are some steps. These are the things you have to make priorities in order to get there. Once you you tell me what the end goal is, the world tends to make its way based on what your priorities are. They They get out of the way for what your priorities are. And Duke, I don't think it's a coincidence they haven't won an ACC title in the regular season since 2010. That's about the time they started recruiting the one-and-done model. That's when they started recruiting the one-and-done players, starting with Kyrie Irving, going into the Jabari Parkers, the out-of-order Austin Rivers, Julia Locafor, so on and so forth. Duke made a decision then, we're going to pursue teams that take a little bit longer to develop, and since that's the case, Odds are we're probably not going to end the regular season with the best conference record. And that's fine by Coach K. You look at what he gets criticized most for. Oh, they're never going to play true road games in December. Not going to play 
away from Cameron, true road games in November in non-conference play. And while it's true, Duke does not play many true road games, rather than pointing that out and because you don't like Duke, assuming it's because they're scared, start to ask yourself why that's the strategy. Why did they do it differently? I remember asking Coach K about this one time. And his answer was pretty clear. This is what prepares you for March. When we go to Maui every fourth year, you play a handful of games in a row because you have to play on a Thursday, then a Saturday in the NCAA tournament against really good teams. Good teams go to this tournament, and so we prefer those type of showcases. We prefer to go to Madison Square Garden. We prefer to go to Chicago, Indianapolis, you name it, playing top teams in these showcases versus playing true road games because in order to win the NCAA tournament, you got to win six games in a row in places that are far different than the gyms you'll be playing in on college campuses. So in order to prepare for that, Duke plays in MSG. They play in these top venues against really good teams in these showcases. That's what it's for. Duke's priorities are on March, not really all the games that lead up to that. So don't judge them on what the team is the first or second week of December. Judge them by what they end up being in March. Same goes for John Calipari in Kentucky. And again, we'll get to them in a second getting set for North Carolina Saturday at 2 o'clock. Turns out Duke doesn't need Jalen Johnson right now. I was concerned last night. I thought Wendell Moore would have to step up. Then right after we get off the air, I learn via text, Wendell is dealing with the sprained ankle. Odds are he's probably not going to play. He did play, but he didn't play much last night. So without their top two small forwards, Johnson and Wendell, I didn't know if Duke was going to win the game. And they were in control throughout. DJ Stewart, really good. Million megawatt smile, great hair, terrific step back. He shows flashes of greatness. Jeremy Roach playing much of the game. He played 35 minutes last night. Matthew Hurt, even in the Illinois and Michigan State games, his numbers have been good. He's been consistent for Duke. They picked it up without Johnson in the lineup, who is set to be their only lottery pick for next year. Coach K provided an update on Jalen last night. This is after the game, and here's how that sounded. He has a foot problem that I'm not going to say exactly what it is, but he's in a boot, and he'll be evaluated again in a two to three weeks, but that doesn't mean he's going to be back in two to three weeks. If you have thoughts on this, by the way, our phone number, at Sports Hub, try it on Twitter, 336-777-1600. I don't know why I gave the, the Twitter handle before I gave the phone number there, like I said I was going to do. But Jalen Johnson, two to three weeks he's going to be out, which means two weeks from now they're set to play Pitt. Not going to be there for that game. Pitt last night taking care of business. They're 5-1 and one on the season now, looking really good with Justin Champagny and Tony, Jeff Capel's group, exceeding expectations early on. Then it's the calendar flipping, probably the most difficult game in the conference schedule. They're playing at Florida State on January the 2nd. Let's say they lose that game. They're next two. January 6th, Boston College at home. January 9th, Wake Forest at home. That's beyond the three-week mark. 
they can be without Jalen Johnson and win three out of those four games. They have enough talent to do that. As long as he's back, let's say, January 12th, their next game, after the stretch of BC and Wake on the road at Virginia Tech, I think Duke's going to be in pretty good shape. So that way he can start gelling with the team again, building that chemistry, so they're playing their best ball in March. Their priorities are on March, not on the regular season. So they're going to be careful with Jalen Johnson. They're going to have younger teams. They're going to have no issue doing that. Duke basketball is going to be fine. The start of December, here's how I read the Illinois and Michigan State games now. It was the perfect storm against Duke. Duke does not have the dominant interior player this year. They don't have... Vernon Carey, All-American type guy like Wendell Carter, Marvin Bagley, or Zion Williamson. Having those players gives you higher percentage shots with young teams that Duke needed, and they need right now, but hopefully by season's end they're going to learn to play and build enough chemistry they're not going to need it as much. So the teams that you would not want to play with a young group that's trying to deal with the lack of a dominant interior force, experience older physical teams. That's what Illinois and Michigan State were. That's what they are. They're top five teams. Duke's probably, for the rest of this season, not going to play a team as good as either Illinois or Michigan State. Odds are they're not going to play another top five team. That's That's the state of the Atlantic Coast Conference right now. So they lost those games. They're young. The season, the preseason was altered a bit. Less prepared than normal. Michigan State, I think, has nine of their ten guys in the rotation, upperclassmen. They're not playing any freshmen in that game. Older group. There's a target on Duke's back. Top five team. No fans in Cameron. It's a perfect storm. A Molotov cocktail that made Duke look really bad. So last night, it was a relief. They win the game. They beat Notre Dame. And that's really good for this Blue Devil group. Shifting things to North Carolina. With North Carolina now meeting Kentucky instead of Ohio State Saturday afternoon, I've got an interesting stat here regarding the UK-UNC series. Roy Williams has faced John Calipari, North Carolina versus Kentucky, nine times, nine times, going back to Ferris Bueller, since John Calipari took over in Lexington in 2009. Nine times. Roy only has a 3-6 and six record against Cal. In those three wins, North Carolina's only won by a combined nine points. Nine's the magic number today, it seems like. North Carolina's lost three of the last four. The one that they won, probably the one you'd want to get. That's the Elite Eight game in Memphis where Luke May hit the shot at the buzzer. The Tar Heels... They should not have problems with Kentucky this weekend. The Tar Heels should throttle the Wildcats. You have an opportunity to do so. It's going to be easy to get up for Kentucky, regardless of what the record is. For the reasons I'm mentioning to you with Roy's record there, it would be a massive lift for them to go into ACC play with a win over Kentucky and a convincing win over the Wildcats. Their first conference game is NC State. First time the Pack. And the Tar Heels are set to meet before the calendar flips since the ACC 
Big Four tournament way back when, late 70s, early 80s, the Tar Heels should win this game and win by a lot. Kentucky's not good, and it's not just because we had that beef with the entire state in the state of May, uh, in the month of May. The Steve Forbes comments, the Olivier Sar stuff, everybody thinks I hate Kentucky now. Then in the middle of the summer, I said, I don't think this team's very good. It reminds me a lot of North Carolina last year, and that's exactly what we're seeing. Kentucky's 1-4 now, something that hasn't happened since 1984-1985, 35 bleeping years, and if they start 1-5, the last time that happened was 1927. You have to go before the Great Depression to find the last time Kentucky basketball started 1-5. So the pressure is on the Cats. They know this. North Carolina, they could play confidently. The Cats somehow are younger than North Carolina is. And they have more pressure on them despite the fact North Carolina's probably going to win. The Tar Heels, they're much more talented than the Wildcats are. You're talking about four McDonald's All-Americans for the Tar Heels to Kentucky's two. Don't just be fooled by the 24-7 ranking of Kentucky having the number one class. They have the number one class because they have the most players in their class. Only two five-stars in it. That's the fewest amount of five-stars John Calipari's had in a Kentucky recruiting class ever in his 10, 11 years there. So North Carolina has much more talent, and neither of those five-star players are bigs. So it's going to be Olivier Saar trying to handle Walker Kessler, Dayron Sharp, ACC preseason player of the year Garrison Brooks, and our guy Armando Baycott. It's not going to go well for the Cats. North Carolina, big Saturday afternoon. You wanted to hear some great sports talk? Well, here it is. Oh, what an appallingly ironic outcome. The Drive with Josh Graham. It's not ironic. It's just coincidental. On Sports Hub Triad. Since tonight I'm going to be enjoying my final Blue Apron meal of 2020, it only seems fitting we welcome in our midday host, Adam Gold, who you can listen to noon to three right here on Sports Hub Triad. Should I wait for what's for dinner at the end of this conversation, or do you want to know now? Are you waiting with bated breath? Are you asking me? Yes, I'm ad- asking you, Adam Gold. <laughs> uh, I will, I know what's for dinner. Are you... Are, are, you're talking about what you're going to oh, yeah. uh, make with your Blue Apron color by numbers dinner? Correct. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Let's wait till the end of the it. interview. That's a tease. That's a tease. That the, okay. What we call in the biz. We'll do that at the end of this conversation. Jim Phillips, we heard what Coach K had to say last night talking about his relationship with Coach Phillips, obviously dating back to his recommendation, Coach K's recommendation that they hire Chris Collins, which worked out really well. For Northwestern, they're both from the same high school, and Kevin White, once upon a time, was Jim Phillips' boss. What do you Mm -hmm. view to be the biggest challenge Phillips will face when he officially takes over for Commissioner Swafford next summer? Uh, I mean, it's it's the future. Uh, Like, it's to me, it's just the future of the league, and not that the future is not bright. I think the future is bright, but I just think that's just in general college sports. Um, the pandemic has 
unfortunately for college sports, exposed a lot of the the realities that those of us who cover college sports for a living have recognized um, the fact that the players are, you know, it's free labor for the, the universities to make a lot of money on. Um, you know, there's no long-term health benefits. There's a lot of issues that involve the players that commissioners are going to have to be the lead on. Um, so he's getting here just like Kevin Warren is. Uh, he won't have to deal with uh, the full effects of the pandemic like Kevin Warren did last year in the Big Ten, uh, but just the changing economics of college sports in the future. I well, just think that, and that's for every college commissioner, not just in Phillips. A lot of people, I think, confuse. They often say these things are always the same, that when people are younger, they're more progressive, right? And right. <laughs> you hear Jim Phillips' his first interview with the ACC Network and one of the first points he wants to make is protecting the collegiate model and comparing the effectiveness of the collegiate model to the GI Bill, which wow. when you're talking about the, the future and you're talking about what needs to happen and being forward-thinking, maybe even being a visionary, does that give you pause at all that this guy is still so sold out on the idea of the collegiate model in 2020? I, I got to admit, that's the thing I did not like when I heard. Um, first of all, I mean, what? You think 70% of the people who follow college sports have no clue what the GI Bill is? <laughs> 70%. Maybe more. Maybe more. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 50s. Like, so I know about it. But, I mean, people your age probably go like, what? What's the G? What is, what is that? When he like, said not- it, I spit out my coffee. I couldn't believe that. Well, that's what we're doing at 730 in the morning? We're talking right. GI Bill. I didn't. I, I, that really threw me. But ultimately, uh, the collegiate model is exactly what's wrong with college sports. And this is where I depart with Bubba Cunningham and Kevin White. And I don't know, maybe it's the Notre Dame influence. And we definitely have uh, a Notre Dame influence in the ACC. Boo Corrigan's got roots there, too, uh, certainly in the state of North Carolina and the Triangle. But, um, look, that's the thing. This is why I should have been commissioner, Josh. Uh, I want no part of the collegiate model. The collegiate model needs to be changed. By the way, the Cory Booker bill, which probably has no chance of passing both chambers of Congress, uh, and frankly, Congress shouldn't even be involved in this. The Cory Booker bill speaks to the really important issues as it pertains to college athletics. And that really is, it's not so much about being employees. It isn't, isn't about that. It's that these people have no, I mean, it's, the first time I ever talked to Riomi, uh, 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 what, uh, I forget his name, Huma, Huga. I forget, I apologize, from the uh, National Collegiate Ath- uh, Athletics uh, Association. I don't know what, it is, what the, the, the organization is right now. Uh, but they're advocates for college athletes. And that's the first thing he talked about was health care. Um, and these athletes, especially football players, but the athletes, they deserve long-term health care protections from the universities that they don't have. So if you sustain injuries that last long into your life while playing college football, the universities are done with you. 
they're not responsible after you're done. It's, and it's just, it's Baron Davis had to get uh, surgery even while he was at UCLA that was on his dime that UCLA didn't even cover. So it, th- we need protection for college athletes. And the collegiate model is a terrible, terrible way to protect college athletes. First thing you need to do, hitting on what Adam's talking about there, if you haven't seen it before um, or heard the comments, you can find it, I'm sure, pretty readily accessible online. First NCAA Executive Director Walter Byers listened to what he said on tape about why the term student-athlete exists. And it's because of what you're talking about right there. Before we figure out what's for dinner, Adam Gold's with us here. I want to revisit something we talked about a week ago. We were looking at North Carolina, North Carolina Central, and asking the question, well, why doesn't this game happen on a more regular basis? So I... Went to the game on Saturday uh, with the intent on talking to both Lavelle and Roy about this. And Roy's argument was, this is something I really haven't even considered what it might mean going to an HBCU's place to play, playing a road game there, because I've always understood it as it is more financially beneficial to have them come to our place. But that's something I haven't thought about, and I might now, is what Roy said. And Lavelle said... Just having any home game would mean the world, let alone the Tar Heels. And then he defended Roy for a long time, saying, this this is one of my best friends. I feel like a part of the Carolina program, all of that. So when you look at it, what do you think it might represent? Even if it's not Carolina visiting Central, but an ACC team going to an HBCU. To me, I think in the state of North Carolina, it would be like a where were you type of moment. And I don't know how you put a price tag on it. Uh, do, don't we have Notre Dame going to play at Howard? They're playing at Howard on Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, next year, right? Or is it, or is it this year? It's going to um, be this season. So next year, this season. All right. So um, look, I think it would mean it would be incredible. Um, I think it will it will mean more when fans are allowed in. Uh, so when we return to normal, and uh, look, I've felt strongly about this for a long time. Um, I don't know what kind of, uh, and you know, we, when we talked about it last week, and I know there, we got some uh, some Twitter reaction from this. Um, I just think it would be it would be great to showcase uh, HBC universities athletically because largely we don't see them. You know, they are rarely, if ever, on television unless we're talking about uh, the you know championship week when we get to see them once. Uh, but it would be great to see, and I think. I think the school does matter. Like, I think Creighton playing at A&T probably doesn't carry a ton of weight. Uh, but a high-profile school, a Carolina, a Duke, a Kentucky, a state, uh, playing at, and I'm not trying to make all of those equals, I'm, so don't, people don't need to jump on that. Uh, but especially for us here in the state of North Carolina, Awake playing at Win- not Winston Salem State, but at- playing at A and T. Yes, uh, matters. A uh, Duke playing at um, you know Central. Boy, that would that would be enormous. Um, but I'd like to I'd like to see the ACC get involved in that on a wide scale basis. There are HBCUs in Atlanta, even if it's a uh, in, you know uh, just an exhibition against a uh, a Clark. Uh, do it, man. Let's play that game. Virginia at uh, Hampton. Do it. 
do it. Absolutely. I mean, look, Hampton and A&T aren't even in uh, the MEAC anymore. Tech, well, I Norfolk A&T State. Is. Make it happen. Right. Do it. They, they should absolutely do it. Um, and I know Roy had talked about it being an exhibition. Don't play an exhibition against Central. They're a Division One team. Play a game against Central. All right. Look, part part of the reason why these games are somewhat problematic for the locals to play, as Mark Gottfried found out, you could lose. You could lose that game. Lavelle has a program that can beat you. They played Carolina tough as nails. Ultimately, Carolina's bigger, and they're probably better, so they won the game. Uh, but, man, the... the, the it would be great for local basketball. It would be great for the HBCUs. Financially, it's probably a wash. I mean, if you let them sell the tickets and sell out their own gym, I don't know what you'd pay Central to, you know, to drive from Durham to Chapel Hill. But it's not, you know, it's not in the hundred and fifty thousand dollar range, is it? It's probably in the fifty thousand dollar range. I bet they can make more than that uh, yeah. selling tickets to their own building. All right, Adam. Here's what I got going on for dinner. On Twitter at AGoldFan, you can shoot up a follow figure out what's for lunch on the Adam Gold Show, noon to three. Final Blue Apron meal of 2020. I've got steak and purple potatoes. I love purple potatoes. Sawyer doesn't know what purple potatoes are. He asked, what are purple potatoes? I said potatoes that are purple. They're little potatoes. Very good. So that's what I'm doing tonight. That's it? That's what Blue, Blue Apron sent you? Steak and purple potatoes? Correct. You could have gotten that at the store on your own. Why do you need Blue Apron for that? Well, they sent me two other meals, too. Last night I had uh, some chicken and some orzo with some pes- uh, some pesto sauce. and That's good. It's all good. What's for dinner tonight, Adam Gold? Uh, we are going to do uh, bone-in pork chops, uh, and we are going to do some uh, mushroom risotto. Sawyer, what do you got going on for dinner tonight? You guys always ask me this, and I never have my dinners prepped. Yep, he's gonna. Yeah, yeah he's gonna eat out. It's gonna be a Mario's pizza night for Sawyer. Drive through, man. Go right. Go go right to cookout. Get yourself a tray and a shake. Yeah, five dollars. Can't beat it. Boom, Adam Gold. I'll talk to you next week. Look forward to hearing you uh, tomorrow, where I'll find out what's for lunch. Even though I know for you the answer is nothing. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves to take herbal body baths to keep his skin supple and youthful looking. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. I'll tell you my top three, bottom three for ACC basketball through the first three weeks of the season. We'll do that in a few minutes. The movie game in 10 minutes with Darren Vaught. But I'll tell you something I've heard that's just been lazy analysis this week. Notre Dame facing Clemson for the second time this year. And when people say why Clemson's going to beat Notre Dame, it's been some combination of this in the national media. Well, it's a revenge game for Clemson. And Trevor Lawrence is back. And that's the extent of the analysis. But the reason why it's lazy is because from a passing standpoint, in the first meeting, DJ Uwe Ungalale could not have done anything more. Trevor Lawrence is not going to pass for as many yards as DJ did in South Bend in early November. He just isn't. DJ passed for 433 yards 
two touchdowns in that game. He was off the charts. Trevor's not going to do that again. So when you're talking about why this matchup in Charlotte is different than last month's game, I think it is true to point out Trevor Lawrence being there is going to be a major difference for the Tigers, but I think it's not because of his arm. It's because of his feet. His feet is going to be the difference in the second meeting. That's where DJ lacked in South Bend. Not because he couldn't run. The guy's stocky, man. He can run. He's one of the top quarterback prospects in this year's class. It was him and Bryce Young at Alabama. But he was banged up in the game. See, Trevor didn't play because of COVID. DJ was always going to play, but he was dealing with the shoulder concern. And they couldn't chance injuring him by having him run and go into the third quarterback, who, by the way, was also dealing with a thumb injury on his throwing hand. Clemson was banged up offensively and defensively. They were missing three defensive starters, and another one was out for the entire first half, Xavier Thomas, for a targeting call he had late in the Boston College game that preceded that. So it was a combination of things that cost Clemson that day. But keeping it with quarterback, this is where the mental side of what Trevor brings versus what DJ's understanding of the offense is currently and how to read defenses, this is where it comes in. Trevor is terrific at running the RPO. Burned Ohio State last year, really good with his legs. I'm going to use a term that means he's a white quarterback. He is deceptively fast. It's a draft term. means he's white. Trevor, he can move. He brings experience. He can read defenses better than DJ can. His feet is going to be the difference, and it's going to be a massive help to Travis Etienne. The most staggering stat from that game in early November is that Etienne, who came into the year averaging over 7.5 yards a rush. Actually, I think he was exactly 8 right on the dot. 8 yards a rush, which is absurd considering he carried the ball a ton over the last three years. He had 28 yards on 18 carries against the Irish. That is a 1.6 yards per rush average. I don't want to get... I don't want to gloss over your heads with all this, all these stats here, but 1.6 yards per rush, not very good. Considering it's the only time this year he was under 4 yards per rush. On the season, he averages 5.1 yards a rush, and I told you where he was at going into the year. That was the difference in the game. Clemson altogether, I think, rushed for 34 yards. That can't happen again. And it won't happen again if you respect the run game of Trevor Lawrence. And the RPO is able to get rolling the way it's been rolling in every other game other than the ones that Trevor hasn't played. So ETN and Lawrence, they're going to look more like themselves, and they're going to win the game because, yes, it does matter that it's on a neutral site versus playing in a stadium with probably too many fans like Notre Dame had this year. And it does help that Clemson's healthier, going to have those defensive bodies back that they didn't have then. The margin for error, it is small, and it was then. Despite Trevor not playing, despite all those defensive players, Clemson led by a touchdown in the final minute of the game. Notre Dame had the score to tie it, and then you had the overtime sequence just break Notre Dame's way. I don't think that's going to happen again. Clemson, they are going to be playing with urgency that I don't know if you can simulate. Notre Dame, they know they're in the playoff even if they lose. 
Clemson knows they have to win pretty much. You can't fake urgency. Clemson's going to have it, and when they have it, they're scary. That's why I'm probably leaning that they cover the 10.5, but I think that's a really... That could go either way, so I don't know if I'd bet it. Tomorrow we'll do the best bets. Before we get to the movie game and Darren Vaught, the return of the movie game, I should say... Top three, bottom three for ACC basketball. I think right now, I see three teams that are capable of being ACC regular season champs. I know it's only been three weeks, not the largest sample. A lot of teams have had COVID pauses. I think it's going to be one of three teams holding up the trophy at the end, uh, going into the ACC tournament. Florida State's one of those, defending ACC champs. They're long, they're experienced, they're talented, they're adding the best incoming freshmen any ACC teams added in Scotty Barnes, and he looked the part earlier this week. Love that. Florida State, they won their conference opener. They haven't lost a game yet. They're probably the favorite. Defending champs, they should be that way. Second team, I go Louisville Cardinals. Also unbeaten before things got paused the week before the ACC Big Ten Challenge. David Johnson, he's playing the way he did at Cameron last year, which was scary good. And he showed that only in flashes a year ago. That is a point guard that any team in the ACC would want, except for the fact they have two of them. Carleek Jones has been a revelation. Radford transfer, his numbers are great. Chris Mack's going to be getting Malik Williams back soon, who was a preseason injury. Big deal that he was out of the lineup. So if the Cardinals are undefeated and they're getting him back at the flip of the calendar, that's a really good sign for Louisville, who is a strong contender to win the regular season crown. Then there's Virginia, and they're always there. So uh, Last year, as bad as things were for Virginia, comparatively to the other seasons that we've seen under Tony Bennett, they went into the final day of the regular season, that Saturday in March with an opportunity to tie for the regular season crown again. Crazy. And they're adding talent. You got Hauser. You bring in a great recruiting class, including some kids from the triad. I I love this Virginia roster. I don't know if it's enough time for them to come together, but the talent's there. The system is great. It's proven the work. Those are the three teams I think are capable of winning an ACC title. Duke and Carolina, too much inexperience there. Takes more time for those teams to develop. The freshman-dominant teams never win the ACC title. Here's the bottom three. Really, it's the bottom two. Boston College is the worst, and it's not even close. They probably should have fired Jim Christian. The only reason they didn't was because of the pandemic. I'm still kind of surprised they didn't fire him, considering the buyout was $14 million cheaper than what Danny Manning's was. It's a $1 million buyout for Jim Christian. They kept him around. He won't be around much longer. Second worst is Wake Forest just because of situation. Got a new coach. I don't see a lot of ACC players on this roster. Uh, you're talking about a brutal schedule, a month gone because of COVID, where you can't really be on the floor and try and get your program together. And the schedule's terrible. Going to be playing Syracuse at the end of the month. You're talking about Duke and Virginia on the road after that. Good luck. Steve Forbes, really tough spot for him. And I'd probably say Notre Dame's the third worst. And Jawad Durham's never panned out to be the player I thought he could be. Looks the part, not really that. Lecheski, nice player, not a great player in the post. Uh, and I think Prentice, uh, Gibbs from last night, he, it's a nice, nice guard, but I'll put him in the Eric Green division, right? Uh, 
guys that put up nice numbers, but just not on a good basketball team. Notre Dame is in the bottom three. There you go. That's where I think the ACC stands right now. We got the movie game. We're bringing it back. Sawyer's got some ACC classics. Not ACC. Got ACC on the mind. Christmas classics that me and Darren are going to go head-to-head in trying to figure out the Rotten Tomatoes score for next. Now comes the moment you have all been waiting for. All right, whenever you're ready. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I'm so unreasonably excited for this. It is time for the return of the movie game. Darren Vaught's going to play along with us. It's a Christmas edition of this game. This segment is substituted for the old David Glenn classics entire show where he does the favorite Christmas movies, the best Christmas movies of all time show. Do you want to give the quick highlights of what that show was for the last decade? Darren Vaught, for the record, I love it, but... For those who might be unfamiliar, what am I talking about? Um, essentially, we would deal with uh, a DG quote on one, and I'll end the quote there. And uh, for an entire show, you know, we just played like, you know, clips from movies and uh, took calls for people to discuss whether or not, say, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So then you play some favorite clips from that, and it just turned into this three-hour. Um, movie marathon clip fest of, of Christmas proportions. How did you yeah. not say extravaganza there? Come on. I, well, you know, I try to... I, <laughs> I'm At nine months out, man, or ten months out at this point, I'm, I'm kind of losing it with the company lines that used to be there. It's right. like the, the flick of a switch. Okay. So before we play the movie again, because we got imaging for this, which Darren hates and Robert hates, but Sawyer, I think, oddly likes... You had Cal Ripken on your podcast, not Bill Clinton, but uh, Cal Ripken on the USA Baseball podcast covering the bases. I've never been more jealous of Darren Vaught as Cal Ripken is tweeting, thank you to Darren Vaught for having me on. I I swear, it was like seeing my childhood tweet at Darren. It's, it's amazing seeing that. Uh, great work on that. Thank you. No, it's it was uh, it was cool. He and I went for like an hour, talked all things from like the consecutive games streak. You know, he shared the middle infield for the Orioles with his brother Billy, while Cal Senior was their manager. So we talked a lot about the family stuff too. Um, he was he was a lot of fun to talk to. It was cool. And find Darren doing high point basketball games. He is the host of the Tubby Smith Show. Very good podcast you can find there. Let's play the movie game now, though. Hit the imaging. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. It's time for some kind of movie game. All right, all right, all right. With Josh Graham and Darren Vaught. Show me the money. Sawyer, you're in charge of this now. You've Uh. picked the movies. Do you want to explain the rules to our audience for those who have never heard this segment or might need a brushing up of the rules. Okay, so I have picked out three movies and a fourth if there's a need for a tiebreaker. Um, They are all holiday Christmas classics, and Josh and Darren basically have to guess what Rotten Tomatoes' audience score was for that movie. 
And whoever is the closest um, out of the three, like the less, I don't even know how to describe it. Whoever's got the closest answers after the three. Lowest score wins. Lowest score. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they if, take if home I'm, the prize. If I'm five away, then my score is five, and the score gets added up through the three movies. Whoever has the lowest score wins. If we're within ten points of each other going into or after the third movie, we'll have a bonus fourth movie to decide things. If you get it right on the nose, you deduct five points. I will say this. Robert usually has a spreadsheet. Sawyer's <laughs> trying to attempt this without a spreadsheet. So we'll see how this goes. What is the first movie? The first movie is the classic Will Ferrell's Elf. And this is the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of the movie Elf. Did you like the movie Elf, Darren? Uh, yeah, I would consider this uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies, and I also contend that John Favreau has never done anything that's not like fantastic. What's your favorite? Realm. I already know the answer to this question. What's your favorite John Favreau thing? <laughs> Swingers, baby. Yeah, you're so money you don't even know it. All right, do you have your score written down? I do. Would you like for me to give my score? I'm gonna go ninety-three percent. I'm going 93. <laughs> Nobody? Who? Who's out here saying, yeah, I didn't like the movie Elf? No Who, one. who no dislikes this reason. movie? Yeah, it's for that reason I've got 92. Making things easy from a math perspective on Sawyer, since we're only <laughs> one apart here, what is the score for Elf? Elf's audience score came in at 79%. Oh, leap off! So Leap off! Josh was 14% off, and Darren was 13% off. All right, so we're right. It's anyone's game. Second movie, holiday edition of the movie game. Second movie is the also classic First Home Alone. I watched this recently. Me and Sarah Bradford have been watching movies. Fun game to play at home, the Rotten Tomatoes movie game, trying to guess between 1 and 100 these movies end up at. Home Alone. Home Alone 1. I'll tell you my takeaway from re-watching Home Alone for the first time as an adult. It's, I thought the standoff between Kevin McAllister and the burglars was probably about an hour. It happened in 20 minutes. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it took 20 minutes. I thought it was an hour as a kid. Like, I thought it was most of the movie. It, it was 20 minutes. Well, and, and I remember as a kid wrapping up certain elements of the second one into the first, which is prob probably played to uh, my thinking that it lasted longer or for a larger portion of the movie than it did. Because I recently watched the first as well, and there were certain things I was like, oh, I had to remind myself, oh, that's when he's in New York. That's not until the second. It's a classic movie. Are the scores ready? Darren, what are you going with? I, I also think this one's high, but I, I, I'm i a little gun-shy now after being so high on Elf. I'm going to say 83 on Home Alone. I've got 87 written down. So you go 83, I go 87. I'm trailing you by one point. What is the score for Home Alone? Home Alone got a 80%. Ah, I overshot it again. So Darren, he's picking up some ground here. He should be up five if my math is correct here. What is the score through two movies going into the last? Josh has 21 and Darren has 16. All right. Yeah, good quick math there, Josh. Nice. Pretty good here. 
Last, just flexing. Last movie. Is it actually a Christmas movie? I mean, it's, you know, the conversation it's die hard. will never end. Die Hard. What did Die Hard audience score receive on Rotten Tomatoes? Another movie I watched recently, it's the first time I've ever seen Die Hard. And huh. of course it's a Christmas movie. It's They have Christmas music playing throughout the entire thing at key moments. The director said that was intentional. It's a Christmas movie. He, uh, I mean, McLean wrote, I got a machine gun, ho, 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 on the guy who's dead in the elevator. It's a Christmas movie, for sure. Yeah, it just it doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies like other Christmas movies, right? Uh, and I think that's what why why people don't want to put it in the same category. But okay. it, yeah, it for sure is. Uh, since you're the one that's leading, Darren, you're going first. All right. I give Die Hard... An 86. Okay. You're going high? I'm taking chances to try and swing for the fences here. I figured you'd go high on it. I went at 70. I got Die Hard at 70%. Okay. So if it's really high, then we're clearing that 10-point threshold, and Darren's just going to win this thing outright and have his 30 seconds of Zen. If it's lower than 70, then I think I've done enough to win this thing outright. What is the score, Sawyer, for Die Hard? Die Hard audience score was a 94%. What? Oh, come on! Oh, no! That means that Darren finishes with a score of 24, and Josh finishes with a score of 45. Oh, and Darren, no! enjoy it. Oh, man. It's been a while since I've won, and I that's a pretty good. Like, I was three for three pretty good guesses on those scores there. Um, I do have – all right, I need to crowdsource something with your audience, Josh. So I'm going to take these seconds here to poach your audience. Um, I received at my doorstep today a giant poinsettia, speaking of, of Christmas. Um, it was addressed from – coach of the High Point Panthers, Tubby Smith. A very thoughtful gesture. It's super nice, but he knows. I've got no clue what to do with this thing. So if you would, listening, at Darren Vaught, help me out. How do I keep this thing alive so that he doesn't you know, hate me and I just let his nice gesture go? Did you say poinsettia or did you say poinsettia? It is a poinsettia. Oh, a poinsettia. Got it. Okay. So yeah. I've gotten I've gotten Sarah Bradford a poinsettia recently, three of them specifically. Yeah, so if you just water it regularly, it's it, I, I've had it for about three weeks and it's it's worked out just fine. Three seems excessive. Well, you know I'm a baller like that. How big how big is your poinsettia? See, I've often said you're only as big of a baller as how many poinsettias you've had. I've I've often yeah, said it's, that. It's, it's true. It's true. This thing's massive. So like. I've got three list. small ones. Like I'm talking like four inch pots, man. No, no, this this guy is like three and a half feet tall. It's it's close to the height of my Christmas tree. Well, that Tubby, I have in my apartment. well, Tubby's a baller. He is. He is. It's incredible. He is. He is. Well, when's the next time we'll hear you on a High Point broadcast? Uh, I'm actually going to Williamsburg to broadcast. Hopefully, of course, we're always uh, on pins and needles until the day of. But I'll do a HighPointPanthers.com radio call of High Point at the Tribe of William and Mary on Saturday. Heck yeah, dude. Thanks so much for doing this. We'll, uh, 
you're going to be in this chair Tuesday and Wednesday next week as I'm out in the City of Angels. Outrageous fun will be had. There you go. That's Darren Vaught. Shoot him a follow on Twitter at Darren Vaught. Let him know how to keep points that is alive.